Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Hi, welcome to Mind Space. This is Jeff Boucher. I'm here with Maya St. Clair. And this week, uh, we are going to have some funny guys with us. We have Seth Green and we have Matt Seinrich from Robot Chicken. And uh, anybody that loves genre stuff, loves Comic-Con kind of stuff, probably loves Robot Chicken. They have a lot of fun at everyone's expense. And uh, it should be a lot of fun talking to them today about uh, Riverdale, which is their latest target uh, with their new Robot Chicken uh, latest episode. So here we go. It's a great episode. Uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, let's see, it's subversive and it's, uh, offensive and, uh, uh, all the wonderful things you could, everything you can hope for. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Was, um, was this a target that you guys had picked for a while back or is this something that, uh, how long have you been wanting to go to Riverdale? We talked about Archie a long time ago. We we because we all were such fans of it, and we had wanted to do a sketch. God, what was that Final Destination? The second season? Oh, second season, yeah. So oh. second season, we had this idea to do uh, Final Destination in the Archie universe, and the between the time it was on the air and the time we wanted to put it on DVD, there became it's one of the very rare cases where anybody outside of the show came after the show for a piece of content oh wow. they were like they were like this is inexcusable this doesn't fall under parody and we we absolutely had all of our fair use bases covered sure but between the legal team from that company and the legal team at uh you know it goes all the way up to to, to turner and whoever the like i think it was aol at that time and they were right. like we're not we're not going to court over this so they pulled that sketch from the uh, episode on dvd and we we were so mad about it because we knew we had all the legality on our side and plus we weren't saying anything offensive about archie we actually love archie so it took god how did that happen was it john running into tom yeah like uh our head writer tom root um is a big archie fanatic okay and he ended up uh yeah meeting john goldwater and uh john goldwater was like hey do you want to write jughead and he ended up writing an issue of Jughead and then brought up this thing. And he's like, what are you talking about? This shouldn't be. And all of a sudden, the love started between the two companies. Gates, floodgates open. That's yeah. amazing. That's and amazing. We, got, we got the episode put on a, we got that uh, sketch put on a later DVD. We started making a bunch of Archie jokes. Yeah. yeah. And then we just, yeah, became friends with John Goldwater. And he was just, and we just started joking around about why aren't we doing this, this type of special? And it, it just evolved into it. That's um, great. And then there, there's a reunion too, right? Uh, with the uh, the Pussycats. And, or the boy band with DuJour. Right? Well, with DuJour, yeah. So it's the I mean, first time that DuJour has reunited since, <laughs> since the Josie movie. 
I'm uh, did People Magazine get the exclusive? Because I'm sure that they wanted to kind of. I think they did. Uh, you know. Yeah. No, I think we. I think this subject has been exposed to the public, and now. <laughs> it's great. It is great. It, it, it lives up to its reunion. Lives up to everything I hoped for. Like you know, it's everything that you want is right there. Oh, good. Um, good. You guys like I, I just I've been such a fan for a long time, and and I and I've talked to both of you before. Uh, Matt, I think I haven't seen you since I think we were at that uh, uh, screening for um, Trick or Treat. No, that wasn't as much as I want to take credit for. Was being that not there? I was, was not at that. Um, well, it must have been somewhere else. Um, as much well, as I was at the Egyptian, show. I remember it was at the Egyptian, but I can't. It was probably something Star Wars. Oh, uh, it was the when the Clone Wars uh, movie came out at the Egyptian. They had the premiere. Remember that? Well, the 2008 yeah. one. The, yeah, like we the... were. I know we were both there. Yeah. Were you there, Jeff? Is that I when was there was? for that? Yeah, and then, um, and uh, Seth, you did the really. You helped out on the video that. Uh, um, Kyle did for uh, my film festival, right? Weren't you uh, helping out with the Ewok thing? Did you help out with that? That sounds right. If Kyle's yeah. if Kyle's involved and it's Star Wars and, the, and <laughs> ch chances are I was involved. <laughs> yeah, because he, he he came at me basically because he because I just don't like we Ewoks. You know, I just don't like him. I can't get over it. I'm just bitter, you know, because I, I really wanted the, the, the trilogy to end on the Wookiee planet as intended with like a Zulu Dawn scenario of giant Wookiees ripping the arms off of stormtroopers and... Mm. And I was sitting we may there still the, we may still get that in the Obi Wan series. Let's see. It's true. It's true. But I, I was so bitter at the time because um, I'm like, if you guys are not going to take this as serious as me, I'm just not going to. Oh man, it was, it was. I was really, I was really disappointed. The, I thought it was all about Happy Meals. You know, it made me, it made me mad. Sure. And then, you know, and George got mad at me once because of I, when I was writing for the Times and I wrote about that, I dismissively referred to that entire sequence of the third film as a teddy bear luau <laughs> <laughs> and apparently that's not cool apparently that's not cool so yeah, i was like yeah, but how how good did you feel knowing he read your article <laughs> it was a mixed bag i'll tell you because the the same thing that happened that you if you want to know is that story oh man it, it landed the same day as star wars celebration and, and he was down in florida it's the one where john stewart interviewed him on stage oh, right yeah you were there for that that was a great Wow, what a great event. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently I didn't really help them uh, have a good time because my story ran on the cover of the calendar section and the headline was, Toys Turned George Lucas to the Dark Side, uh, Producer Says. And it was the first interview with Gary Kurtz uh, wow. in, like, in like 20 years. Oh, no. Know? And so, you know, that headline is kind of it's kind of tough and then the teddy bear luau was like in paragraph five and then it was on and uh you guys i, I don't think she'll well maybe i shouldn't say well there's somebody who works at luke's film is a lovely wonderful gracious soul and i've known her for years and years and and talked to her and she um she called and said jeff how are you how's ben how's addy great great we can never talk to you again. <laughs> you know, we, we're not going to be able to send you any press releases. We can't confirm anything you ever say. We won't be able to, you know, it's like, you know, and every, uh, and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and it took like. Now you're making me worried that we're cut off just by talking to you. That's right. There's snipers right now moving into position. But uh, it's, just it, it all, it's just that. It, this this ends really well, though. This ends well, though. Because about like a few years after that, 
I get a call back from the same person who says, hi, Jeff, how are you? We love you. How you doing? How's Ben? How's Eddie? Oh, great, great. We can talk to you again. Kathy Kennedy. Because <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Kennedy likes me. So, um, <laughs> so everything's fine. But uh, the Teddy Bear Luau, I saw it on a t-shirt at a convention and I, I, I swelled with pride. I was like, I did that. That's the only thing I've ever done. I was going to say, why didn't you buy one of those? You you should be trademarking this thing. Yeah, I own that. Well, I don't think yeah. you can trademark it technically if they've already published it. Um, yeah. But you I, could I you could go back. Ah, you'd get into a weird. You could probably claim the NFT of your article, and then you <laughs> wouldn't necessarily have any brokerage rights, but you'd at least have the satisfaction of feeling like you own it. Yeah, and 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 remind George one more time. <laughs> George <laughs> Lucas turned to the dark side. Yeah, that's good. Oh my God! Give him the opportunity to bid on the NFT. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And exactly. Well, and it's it's bad too because I had stayed at Skywalker Ranch. I was the first journalist to stay at Skywalker Ranch. And everything. So it it was like a it was a big fall from grace. You know, like I uh, feel like we're doing some pretty valuable therapy here. So this is good. I feel like we're helping you move forward, not feel shamed. Not feel judged for your craft. Not feel like the master actually hates you. He's probably like not I spent a moment thinking about it since. I feel like I screwed the tauntaun, man. I don't know. It's just it was a, it's just something. I don't know. All right, I'll try to deal with it. <laughs> now, you guys, you had the experience of like you encountered uh, the, the the wizard of uh, the Jedi universe and had a good experience. Like he um, he actually participated and, and uh, joined you guys with uh, and gave you permission to do the, all kinds of stuff like yeah. uh, that's pretty awesome. great he's you know, really he a lot of fun he'd be um yeah. I, I don't think he gets quite a, as repu as a as much of a reputation for how funny he is how witty he is he's brilliantly clever and has an incredibly sharp wit that's uh, great yeah you know, I, I know I, I think he's tense around press so I haven't seen that. You know, he just doesn't quite, um, I actually, I couldn't speak for him, but what I have seen is that, because um, I've, I've gotten to uh, be with him in a bunch of different situations. And as a result, I've gotten to see the way a variety of people approach him or choose to interact with him or the questions they ask or, or even the, their own demeanor as they approach him. And, you know, a good majority of the people that he interacts or that approach him do so with such a reverence or such an expectation right. that it's that it's overwhelming and and very uncomfortable and yeah. um you know he's not a he's not uh he's an incredible conversationalist and he has no <laughs> yeah. trouble communicating but i think when people come at him in that way it may or, or, or even star wars has taken on such a different life beyond anything he ever intended to create and yeah. so anyone that he meets has absorbed their lifetime of the au revoir of Star Wars. And so, yeah. you know, it, it, it's an intense, it's an intense thing for people to put out there. And um, just as an actor that gets recognized all the time or has yeah. been in a crowd of people where the energy is focused on you, it's, it is um, not comfortable nor anything anyone that set out to create anything really intended to solicit. And so I can expect for someone like George, you know, most people don't ask him questions that he's interested in asking. Right, right. Yeah, they all come to him like with this investment. Yeah. Know, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, I, the, the biggest thing I think that worked to our advantage was just being able to um, hang out with him. Um, in a relaxed environment and just talk about like normal things without any kind of pressurized expectation. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it all started by accident. That's the other thing. It's like we did this one little parody, you know, uh, that aired. And just to get the call saying he liked it, he's inviting us up to Skywalker Ranch to, you know. Is that the Palpatine? Cool. Is that What's the that? Palpatine one? The Palpatine, yeah. And, <laughs> it's uh, so good. So good. <laughs> and it kickstarted everything. It really did. It opened the floodgate to a relationship, not just with Lucasfilm as a whole, but with George himself. Um, yeah. Because he gave us the permission to do these little specials that we ended up doing. And then he partook in acting in them where we're making little figures of them. It was, it was fun. Like again, well, part, I, of that, it, part of that was like, so I'm sorry. No, no, I was just saying I'd never met him before. I was coming in like Seth was just describing. I didn't know how to manage it. And my first interaction with him, he had met Seth before. So it was a little more comfortable. Well, I can and, see that I can see that up a little bit just yeah. with that because like I had met him several times through all kinds of situations and I had time and time again been unable to contain my general enthusiasm or even my like youthful uh, insistence on I don't know being being important being meaningful or memorable yeah. and so I it, it was it wasn't until the third movie, uh, um, uh, Revenge of the Sith, when I got asked by MTV to interview him and like walk him around the archives. They're like, you know a lot about the archives. Oh, nice. Could you take George around the archives and like point out points of interest from the Star Wars universe and ask him questions? I was like, yes, yes, of course I can. And so I started thinking in my, I'm like, I, I've seen, all right, I've seen the way everybody approaches. I've seen the way this works. If I want to get something, I want to make a good piece of content. I actually love and admire this man and his work. And I want to be able to um, guide him through all the totems of it without it being a, a, an experience that he hates. So I was like, okay, what do we have in common? Well, I've done press junkets and I know he's probably doing a, a hearty press junket right now. Yeah. So I had this incredible moment where I, I've been on the property a bunch of times and I went out the back uh, into that vineyard path that's down to one of the main roads towards the main house. And just how I was just standing out there, catching my breath, trying to like, okay, what am I, we're about to watch this, this movie. I'm so excited. And what am I going to do later? And he starts walking up the steps by himself. And so I was like, I'm going to seize this chance. And so I said, Hey, George, nice to see you again. I'm, I'm Seth. We've, we've met a couple of times, but I'm going to be doing the uh, walk around the archives with you for MTV today. And he said, okay, good to see you. And I go, uh, uh, is there anything that you want to talk about? I said, I've got a bunch of questions, but is there anything that you want to cover? And he's like, no, I'll see what you got. And I said, uh, have you had to do all the press this week? And he said, yeah, I've done three junkets. And I said, just, just domestic or the international? And he said, both. And I go, oh, what's the question? What's the yeah. question? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, whatever I do a junket, they're always like, everybody asks the same fucking question over and yeah, over yeah. again. No matter how many questions they ask, it's that same one. So what is it? What is it? And he said, oh, it's because it's the third movie. And do I feel satisfied that I brought the whole thing to a conclusion? I was like, oh, okay, good, nice. good. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask you that. We'll just talk about the stuff from, uh, you know, for the last crusade and stuff. So nice. anyway, anyway, I'll yeah. see you in there like that. And when I was, and, and I couldn't even believe I pulled it off. I was like, oh shit, I think I did it. Yeah. And so when, when we got up to the archives, everybody's there. It's a gang of people, MTV, there's cameras, a bunch of people props all the people from the archives all the producers so many people and uh i walk in and i can't help but go over to the big chewbacca that they've got set up the new darth vader because they've resolved the helmet and whatever the sy symmetry of it and uh 
I'm looking at the table of lightsabers they've got laid out. And uh, George sees me and makes a beeline straight towards me. And I was like, oh shit, what's this? And he said, uh, what, do you, what do you want to do? We should take a picture. I go, yeah, I think I'll start like under Chewbacca's arms. What do you think about this? And I put me and Chewbacca in a prom pose. And uh -huh. I go, look at this. Like it's our prom picture. He starts laughing about that. And he's like, yeah, get the camera, get the camera. And I go, okay, so good. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then he grabs the Darth Vader helmet and he starts to lower it onto my head. And it's like enormous, enormous. But we're face to face, so close. And when he lowers it on my head, I go, don't, you're making me look like Rick Moranis. And he <laughs> laughed, he laughed. And I was like, this is going to be great. So then we walked all around the archives. We had a super casual thing. I know stuff about his career from a technical standpoint. So I asked him a lot of questions about stuff that I thought he'd be excited to, to tell. Right. Um, and that was, that was the beginning of it. So then every time I saw him after that, I tried to just build on that let him know that I was a comfortable person that wasn't going to freak out, that, that wasn't going to try and snap a picture of us and, and like make him tell me where the Star Wars toys are. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so by the time we got to have this incredible opportunity, which Matt 100% created, we had a meeting with Lucasfilm Brass and they were like, we want to do, I don't know, something. And Matt was like, let us do a half hour dedicated to Star Wars of Robot Chicken. Yep. And they let and they let us. So then That's it was awesome. all right. Well, what what can we really get? And this sketch got written where the nerd meets George Lucas, and and it's like <laughs> we got to give a little bit of what it's the, it's a little bit of that um, Shatner at the Star Trek convention exactly. sketch, yes, where absolutely. the you creator bet. gets <laughs> yeah. But but he's not he's not cynical like that, and he didn't want to throw anything mean spirited. But I thought there's a way to show. Well, that's how the sketch came out. There was, a, yeah. there was a great way to show this fandom, this fanaticism, and him kind of unwillingly yeah. at the swirl of it. Um, and we got him to agree to do his own voice. And yeah. so then we started, the, well, well then, then Matt, you tell the story of us going to record it. Yeah, they, it was the first time I've ever met him and uh, we had to record it up there. So we flew up there, which is amazing. And it was my, yeah, it just, he comes into the room and when he walks into the room, it wasn't like, uh, hey, how's it going? He walks into the room with the script and he literally throws it in the air. So salty. And he's like, and he's like I'm just going to be, you know, I'm just going to be an asshole director, uh, an asshole actor. And like, he goes, hey, he said the thing about the lines. He's good. like, he's like, I, well, maybe, maybe I'll read like, you once like it's written, but I'm like, just going to yeah. be the asshole actor. And I said, oh, that's cool. As long as you don't mind be, me being the prick director. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're back and forth and like they're they're being so snarky to each other i'm like oh hi you know like, yeah. I, I don't you guys like, go to summer camp together? together what happened yeah, yeah that's great <laughs> but, but it was great like over the course of the years you just got to know him in that way and it, it's it really has been a, a fascinating experience to just be like i always joked and he even pointed out he's like I end up being the dad to my two eight-year-old kids, which is him and Seth. You know, like, like <laughs> That's I'm, great. I'm the one who has to manage manage the, the situation that we're all in. Um, and it's been really great. It's it's it's. I like the casualness to yeah. it. Yeah, it was fun. We got to make three uh, robot specials, and the last one was a, a forty-four minute, and we got to tell a whole long story. They they let us. Um, you know, get really silly. The first special was so much just a kitchen sink throw in of every Star Wars joke we've been wanting to tell for years. And then in the second one, we were like, maybe we can, maybe we can actually tell a story. Like, what right. if we 
talked about all the different bounty hunters and how they, we've all been fascinated with that tableau of the bounty hunters from Empire Strikes Back. Sure. So the opportunity to say, okay, well, who, who are each of those guys? Where they come from? That was really fun. And then in the, in the last one, it was like telling the emperor's story from beginning to end. Yeah. It's really it's, cool. it, it's very cool. And it's, and, and it was great. You guys did a great service, I think, to, to George and to Star Wars, in addition to your own success with it. Um, and as a, a success as, uh, as comedy, because they were all great, but you did a service to Star Wars because it did loosen them up. And, and it, it, it is part of this, of George, like kind of, uh, engaging and, and kind of pulling the curtain back you know um in He's a way always wanted really to have fun with this you know what yeah. i mean and there yeah. there haven't always been opportunities for him to have the fun you know yeah. um yeah. so that that was the one thing that i think matt and i felt the most privileged to do was was spend any time with him where he could just be playful and joyful with all the things that he'd created um without any kind of pressure See, like Star Wars was such a big thing to me as a kid, and, and, and I know it was to you guys too. And but every time I get near it, sometimes weird things happen. Like, like because I, so I went to, to Skywalker Ranch, and uh, you know the uh, the fire truck there has it plays the Indiana Jones theme, you know, when they're <laughs> as part of the siren. And I know this because I had this like accident there. Um, okay, so like you know the government, if they they keep track of all the accidents that happen in football and baseball, all the different sports, you know. And somewhere, someone was like, had a table and they were just following the line down and they put a mark because they had the first ping pong injury in like the history of the country. <laughs> I'm there with my son and it's like, uh, it's day three and he's bored, believe it or not, because there's not that much there to do if you're a little kid. Um, so there's this big ping pong table in the, the gymnasium, which has this brand new basketball floor. It's beautiful, shiny. It's never been touched. You could tell it's brand new. And, but the, the ping pong tables from the 50s and I don't know why but in the 50s they had to build ping pong tables like they were aircraft carriers it's like it's, it's so heavy and it's made of like metal and it has all these parts that don't make sense <laughs> and he's like can we play ping pong I'm like oh okay well let's be real careful of the floor though okay and so we oh my god this thing's heavy and it's like creaking this and I feel like we look like the marines from Iwo Jima trying to keep this thing off the floor because it starts to tilt and one of the legs goes out and it starts going down toward this brand new floor and I just threw my hand under it like no not George Lucas's basketball oh, court and it I, I got the uh, stigmata basically like this thing I it went into my hand oh, uh, so the, the 50 year old rusty pool table yeah and and just blood going everywhere and my son's yeah. like what and I'm like <laughs> okay and he, and now like my hands pinned to the basketball court and he's like how do I get out because uh, the door, like, uh, right, you, you need the key card. You need the key card, <laughs> and, I'm, and like, I'm like, okay, go get your mother. Why well, can't I get? And I'm like, uh, well, uh, I'm like, oh my god, I don't know what to do. Like, and, and uh, so my my ex came and and uh, at the time decided then she would rescue me, so that's good. Uh, and they call, you know, uh, the fire station who runs the place. They're like the the attendants there and do everything. And suddenly you hear the, dun, 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 and like not sparing any, there's no pride, there's no dignity going to be left at the end of the story, right? So I've taken my shirt off to wrap around my hand. So now I'm shirtless, bloody, yeah. and standing in the middle of a basketball court, and all these firefighters come up. And Wait, when you took your hand out from under the ping pong table, did the leg meet the wood? No, no, no. I used my legs to push it up off of me like a 
It was it was really ridiculous. I apologize for the interruption. No, no, no. Um, and then they went and they stitched me up and everything like that. Um, but I got a I, I learned a valuable lesson is if you're shirtless there uh, due to some crisis, you get a Skywalker Ranch Fire Department shirt, which you can't buy. Wow. Just so you know. <laughs> Just like I'm going back. Well, we, uh, Matt, I mean, full disclosure, Matt and I have, have uh, spent the, the bulk of our time there just the with the fire department of course because they're the coolest yeah. and and, yeah. The, and have the best stories and also know where all the stuff is um, that's right and they have the videos the dvds of like uh money pit and stuff that they bring <laughs> to your place like, like it's the strangest thing i can't they've updated the systems just a little bit yeah just a little bit uh it, it it's amazing though you know seth when you're talking about how you kind of related uh, how you were able to build that connection with them that's really it's very astute you know um to kind of find that common ground, you know? Well, it's because kind of, I realized I wasn't, um, you know, I've spent, I've spent my lifetime working as an actor and as a result have made a peer group of all the people that have spent their life doing the same thing. And I kind of forgot that um, opportunity for um, relatability between us, that there was gonna be some kind of common ground. Cause in, in my own head, I had always like, I idolized him to a point that I wouldn't even be able to work with him comfortably. Right. Yeah. And so what what helped for me was remembering that I actually had an opportunity to relate to him right in front of me. If I just could be cool, if I could yeah. just be normal, <laughs> then yeah. we might actually get to, to uh, hang out or work together. I went to interview Springsteen once and it was such a problem for me because I was such a fan and I wanted I mean, he was my favorite writer as a kid and nothing like not songwriter, just writer. And um I really wanted to geek out, but I, I had seen, oddly enough, again, John Stewart interview him right before I went to Jersey. And John was like, I drove across the tunnel and I had no, and he, he's telling the story and you could just see Springsteen shutting down because it's just like you say, like everything that people bring to George, it's like nonstop, you know, like uh, people seeking stuff and, and it doesn't connect. There's another, there's another element to it where um, just as um, if, if you're, any kind of a celebrity that's known for a thing, right? Mm. When people approach you about that thing, it's a very specific approach. And so chances are you as the celebrity have crafted some version of your personality that's exclusive for this moment to right. both acknowledge this person's great attention to the work you've done, but also give yourself a, a, enough of a distance that you're not creating an intimacy that's dangerous for you. And so I learned that when I was uh, uh, 14 years old, um, a friend of mine, her mom dated this awesome director and I got to meet Malcolm McDowell at a Christmas oh, wow. party, yeah. right? So I had been told hours before that Malcolm was gonna be at this party and you don't even understand like me at 14, like Malcolm McDowell, deal. holy shit. It was everything. And so I, I was like, wow, so I was trying to keep myself together. I just wanted to know like how to, be, how to be cool. Like at that point, I had already worked with some very famous people, but sure. this guy was meaningful to me in an incredibly different way. And so <laughs> I'll never forget this. The very first thing, he walks through the door. My friend's mom, who's buddies with him, says, oh, Malcolm, I can't wait for you to meet Seth. He knows clockwork verbatim. <laughs> and I was like, and I go in to shake his hand. And I'm like, fuck. That intro, yeah. that intro, yeah. and he turned it right on. He turned it right yeah. on, and he was like, "Well, and we're expecting a bit of the old rock." And I was like, "Ah, oh, man, yeah. fuck!" And then I had to work to undo that all night 
because anytime I was anywhere near him and was like, ah, so how do you like your, your chicken cooked or whatever I was trying to talk to <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was already like, this kid's yeah, a fan. I got to talk to him like that. So, so it was that. I had seen enough people, including myself, approach George and just be dumb. Just be like, oh, yeah. I to tell me about like lightsabers or Kyle crystals, man. Like you can't help it <laughs> when you just love it so deep. You just want to, this is your shot to say so. So I imagined in that moment, this was not my only chance to meet him. And how would I like, because I guaranteed any of the other times I met him, I didn't make a fucking impression. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. I was like, I well, if I actually, I'm, 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 I, I just realized I had a different opportunity. And so I yeah. tried to approach him like that and it, it changed everything. It's, 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 uh, it's a, the wise way to go. And it worked with me <laughs> for Bruce for a couple of days until, cause I actually like, I didn't even like his music. I, I mean, I didn't act like I didn't like it. I just act like I, I was not engaged with it. And then um, I said, you know, uh, you lived in LA for a while. Uh, you know, how did that affect your music? He's like, oh, I don't think it affects my music. I don't even, I don't even think I ever sang a song about LA. And I'm like, no, no, Souls of the Departed, side two, Lucky Town. <laughs> Uh, where you know, little Rafael Rodriguez was just seven years old when he was shot down by some. Ah. Oh, never mind. Like, I mean, I was like quoting the lyrics. He doesn't know the lyrics to that song. Dude, <laughs> let me let me let you off the hook. I had a similar moment with George, and <laughs> it's one of the silliest moments ever. So he's so cute. Right of course, about you, you'll remember when I tell you. So yeah. he was adorable, and he would get um, approval versions of every single thing that was licensed that was manufactured into some kind of product. So from like a toothbrush to action figures, he got a first look at everything. Like, oh, I guess this looks cool. Yeah. And he didn't know what to do with any of that stuff. So his office and Rick's office was constantly filled with all of this stuff. And so when we were working with him on the regular, he started to um, bring a basket of the stuff down with at least one item available for everyone, but usually yeah. more than one item. And you know, it's everything from like flashlights to figures. So I've played it very cool for several years. <laughs> right, right. That's about the He happen. only sort of knows that I love action figures in a way that's that's almost inexcusable for the level of professional interaction I'm, I'm engaging in. And, um, he overturned. We've done this weeks. He set up like Toy Tuesday and he'll come down with a basket and he'll dump it on the table and everybody will pick something. Aww. And it was just that week that like something from Clone Wars had just come out and I knew that it was in the, and when he came down with the basket, there was something in my heart that was like, oh fuck, I hope that Rex is in there. And uh <laughs> <laughs> turned over the basket and there was only like two figures in it it was not nothing else. and then everything else was flashlights and everybody found something they were super excited about and I reached for the figure and I turned it over and it wasn't Rex and our eyes he saw the disappointment in my face as I picked up a figure that wasn't the figure that and I know that I'm projecting quite a bit but something in him in that moment as our eyes locked recognized that I love the figures yeah. in a way that he hadn't realized and I was yeah. like ah shit I've given myself away in this moment I'm out of <laughs> that's that's a rough one that's a rough uh, one 
I don't think you ever thought about it again, but it was really <laughs> funny for me. What about you, Matt? What's uh, your favorite kind of memory of uh, George Lucas to date? Oh, God, um, you know, what's your take on him? You know, there, there, there's one that I probably can't even talk about, which Seth knows the one I'm talking that's about. That's the one. Um, that's the one. We want to hear that. Yeah. That's that's not my favorite memory. I should say that's just one of those moments where yeah. I gave myself up. Yeah, that's yeah. true. No, you know, uh, probably one of my favorite memories is is a bizarre one. I, we, I went to um, it was like a. a, a John Williams concert um, that he, he invited to. And as Seth knows, I like to be everywhere very early. And so like I show up and I'm like the first one there. And I get there and the only other person uh, there is like uh, one of the PR people and we're chatting. And then she has to go do something and I'm standing there all by myself and George walks in and he like looks around, he sees me and like, He's like comes over and he's just like, you don't mind if I stay with you, do you? And I'm like, not at all. And like, Get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, we end up spending the night just chatting. And while other people start popping up that he doesn't know, he's with me. And it was just like this, this nice, like, we're friends moment as opposed to, hey, this is work or anything else. Because um, it always ties back to my wife was with me at the time and I'll, I'll she knows nothing about Star Wars. And I, I stress nothing. Like, I don't think she's seen any of it. Even our stuff, I don't know if she's seen. Um, and, uh, like, our first thing, she, like, even probably said, I think she said to George, like, what's your name? Like, it's very possible that that happened. Oh, you told me, you told me this, she asked, uh, and what do you do? Yeah, and what, that was it. That was what it was. What do you do? <laughs> it was that kind of, and I was just like, oh, my God. I don't, and you could see the genuine on her face. And, like, he's like, I'm in film. Like, I thought it was a great response. And afterward, I was like, that's, that's George Lucas. And she's like, oh, okay. Like, didn't even realize. Um, but uh, no, I think it's those types of moments that I always found really enjoyable. Um, and then I'm, I was thinking like the funniest moment or the, that moment where it like really nudged it in was um, where we just had started working on uh, detours at the time. And we're coming up with characters and all these ideas. And we came up with this character and he said, he's like, blah, blah, blah was what the name was gonna be. And I'm like, that's terrible. And he's like, <laughs> I'm like, it's just done. I'm like, you can't do that. He's like, I'll flip a coin for it. That's great. <laughs> he flips that's a great. coin, he gets whatever it was. He's like, all right, it's the name. And he just moves on so casually. I'm like, you can't just do that. He's like, every name, it just, that's what it is. It's as soon as he thinks of it, that's what it is, it's done. That was a crazy realization, by the way, like when we were naming characters for oh detours and, and it really was that um, the instantaneous, this is what this character's name is. And then a team of people would race off to copyright and trademark all iterations of that name for yep. any point of service or merchandise. And I, I remember sitting there and thinking like, as, as he made a list that was gonna go to legal, this is, this is where like the word Jawa came from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was just, it was, but, but there's something brilliant in it where he's like, I'm not gonna spend all my time hemming and hawing about the perfection of this name. This is the name of the character. Now right. what we'll hem and haw about is how to define it. Like that's, it's a really good lesson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. General Grievous, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Count Dooku, come on, take five more um, minutes. Elon Sleaze Bagano, <laughs> the guy who tries to sell the death sticks to Obi-Wan. That's my favorite name ever. 
Sleazebagano. <laughs> of the Long Island Sleazebaganos? Yeah, that's, yeah, oh, they're yes. a fa- they actually got a lot of money in death sticks. It's, uh, that's, it's big business. It's, good, it's a good business. It's a good business yep. if you can get into it. Uh, we, we, with Robot Chicken now, like two, 200 plus episodes, which is just fantastic. Um, what do you think you guys have picked on the most? Is there something that you feel like you you know, like of pop culture properties or is there one that you feel like you've kind of gone to, to so often that you, you've you kind know, of got over it? Uh, I don't know, got over it, um, but definitely notice or take pause on like stuff like Star Wars or DC or anything that we've turned into specials. Those yeah. are the things we're always going to go back to. But we do have those moments um, where we feel like we probably went to it too often. Um, you don't want you don't want any episode to have like too much of the same thing. We love yeah. the variety in the episodes and being able to hit all different quadrants, at least in a main series. There was, Absolutely. A, there was a moment, yeah, we were at a comic convention and we were laughing about how we we picked on the Smurfs a lot. And we were just like, we don't know why we do it, you know? And we're like, who here has seen the Smurfs? And everyone raises their hands. And I was like, no, 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 the, the 80s cartoon. And I would say about 90% of the audience went down with their hands. Yeah. And I was like, this shows you. And so we swore off the Smurfs for like two seasons. We're like, there's no need to touch on this. Let's just let it be in the background. Um, well, at least wait until we're saying something that's that yeah. hasn't been said or hasn't been heard. Yeah. But, yeah. but again, you get to that place where you feel like you're going to those jokes too often or you see stuff out into the, you know, out in the world of people picking on it. And you're like, is this going to be, is it going to be relevant in a year? That's a lot of the conversation that we have. That is the biggest thing because there's so many outlets for so many different kinds of comedians to make jokes about literally every type of pop culture. And especially as the technology becomes more democratized and like kids, 12 year old kids have a a virtual studio in their pocket. They can do all their own stop motion. We, We have a really hard time beating a joke to market. So we have to make sure, especially if something that we want to say is really hitting a zeitgeist that what we're saying is unique. We don't want to be, you know, five months late on a joke everyone's made. Um, And Matt, you had the good point this year because we were getting a lot of Star Wars centric jokes and we were like, Matt said, let's not do anything from the original trilogy or the prequels. Let's only do Star Wars from the new movies because we, or from Clone Wars or from Rebels or from Mandalorian because, you know, otherwise we're just, we're retreading the same territory. I, lo- I will say I did lose that battle. There are only on things. only on that Tauntaun gag. Yep, only on one. that Tauntaun gag. And yep, and Jeff, on. I think you'll back me up on this. So there is there a is gag. Another. Huh? <laughs> there is another. I'll use I want to hear the Tauntaun gag. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the Tauntaun gag. And, and this is a, a little bit of a spoiler, but more a spoiler alert. So in <laughs> the scene where Han Solo cuts open the Tauntaun and sticks Luke Skywalker inside of it, we posit that when Han Solo went for help that that tauntaun's family showed up and we're like oh marty we thought you were gone and luke skywalker's in the tauntaun he's like <laughs> ah yeah so he decides to weaken at bernie's this tauntaun through an incredible lifetime with the tauntaun's family and i, I won't spoil anymore for you but that it, like, i felt like it was worth fighting for that's like picard living that whole life on another planet yes thank that's you like, you know that's heavy yeah yeah that's some heavy shit we do thank you you know we're trying to make the important content yeah I, when you were saying like it has to have some shelf life i was thinking uh 
you know, it because a lot of people do meme, but you guys were looking for one that's got more meaning than memeing. More meaning <laughs> exactly. than memeing. <laughs> Take that. That's our slug line, right? It's that's the, the worst, quote. It's, it's probably the dumbest thing I've ever said, but that's okay. We validate that quote and it becomes attributed to us. <laughs> I like that. Yes, exactly. Please, please. You got to back me up on that one. Sure. Um, I heard I, you say it. Have you guys thought about going back to like really old pop culture? Like uh, what's the oldest thing that you guys have? Oh God. Um, we don't, we I mean, we don't say no to something yeah. if the joke is good. That's the thing. Yeah. We, we'll usually just figure how much time we can spend on it. We don't love to spend too much time on something that people won't get. Yeah. But if there is, if there's a new joke that feels universal in some old bit of pop culture, we don't have any problem playing with any of that. Yeah. It's really, I mean, we, we task our writers with a lot to give us something new, something fun, something that, that we haven't seen or that they want to see. Um, the conversation is always, why are we doing this if you could do it live action? Because we, yeah. we're doing things with toys. It has to make sense for us to be doing with toys. Otherwise, it's Absolutely. not ourselves. Yeah, why is it animated? Why why bother to? If you can do this on your own um, Insta reels, why why would we right. put it on Adult Swim? Yeah, you know um, what's great though is the, the way that uh, it does flip around um, and, and gives you that variety pack that you were talking about. It, the uh, it's really really uh, satisfying as a viewer, and also it kind of saves you guys from like the SNL um, kind of. Uh, 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 stumble point where sketches go on too long because you guys you can dance in and out and just because the visual sometimes is like as good as the as the, as the gag and then move on. Debated you know? having our show be called the ADD TV. Like yeah, the original our original title pitch was ADD TV, but that was oh, also in two thousand four. So yeah, but well, I thought it was know. junk in the trunk too. Wasn't wasn't that one? We every, did try to get junk in the trunk as well. I remember that. I remember I that. Say, every uh, every title of our uh, first season, every episode title was a pitch for the name of our show. So <laughs> if you go back and look at all of those. Uh, you can see what we tried to tried to make our show, and everyone got rejected, with the exception of the joke one, which we were just eating. Yeah, this but it was like three hundredth down the list. Like that last batch of 20 that we sent it had robot chicken on it and Lazo just fixated on that. Yeah. And it was just, it was like a food. Yeah, it was a food. We had been, cause we used to write, God, you know, this whole thing was thrown, uh, robot chicken was thrown together <laughs> in like back alleys in apartment <laughs> bathrooms. We, um, we wrote the, the bulk of the first season in my old condo and we would order uh, delivery from Kung Pao Bistro when we weren't picking up Subway. Right, right. And you know, so every it could every have been $5 day, dollar foot long. That could have been the show. Five dollars. It could have been. Long, so. It could have been. Well, they thing. hadn't. They hadn't. Uh, they hadn't come up with that that uh, uh, promotion yet. <laughs> yeah, but each time we would look at the menu. Okay, what are you going to get? What are you going to get? And you'd see this one because everything is regular items, and then this one item is robot chicken. And I vaguely remember in um, I remember in uh, Chinese restaurants in New York, robot chicken. That being like a thing, I, I swear I've heard it before. I had heard it before. So when I saw it at the Kung Pao Bistro, it wasn't too irregular. But then when we all started talking about ordering it, and eventually it's just like sweet and sour chicken. I wonder how that started. You know, I, I think the word robot started, uh, the first citation of the word robot was um, in like 1933 in a Czechoslovakian play. Um, <laughs> I like that you I'm overly impressed by He's that. a legit journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that up, dude. I have no idea. Uh, you no, could have pulled that 
And both of us would have been like, like, Czechoslovakia in their dramatic theater. That sounds correct. (laughs) No, I think it really is. I think it really, really is right. I think it is right. But but names are fascinating. I wonder how that one started. Like, uh, that's a really curious thing. You know, the, um, speaking of Chinese menus, this last Sunday was Mother's Day. Do you know that Paul Simon got the idea for Mother and Child Reunion? It's, you know what that song's about? It's about, uh, he was at a Chinese restaurant and they had a chicken and egg dish called the Mother and Child Reunion. It is the saddest, meanest song ever. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a true story. Seth is like gasping right now. Well, cause like uh, the of calling that dish mother-child reunion is, is, is something for a songwriter to posit. I would think that the chef would not have leaned into that notion for the food itself. So that's why I was shocked. It is. I can't imagine. Yeah, this is rubbing it in. Like it's just like, it's, you know, the only thing I can compare it to is that gas station that has a dinosaur for its symbol. And I'm like, damn, kill them, make them into fuel and then put a a funny animal on top and make fun of them on the way out. Yeah, use, we're gonna use this corpse to promote our uh, our uh, production of its blood into fuel. In the future, when squirrels rule this planet and they use us for fossil fuel, feel think how we're going to feel when we see big dead humans like on top of squirrel gas stations. Chances are, no dinosaurs ever going to see that nor understand the nuance of the irony. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I hope the go. same for us. <laughs> I should just let it go. <laughs> yeah you don't you don't need to uh, uh advocate for that dinosaur's oh, rights man. to not be parodied in current culture i'm sure people say to you all the time uh hey i have a great idea and then they say something that's not um so i'm going to try it hey guys i have a great idea for you for your show Ooh, you, should, you know in 2016 when suicide squad came out it was the first time in any iteration of batman that they said gotham city was in new jersey they for the first time they placed gotham city on the map and it was in new jersey which means Bruce and Bruce both live in the same state. That is an excellent observation. Where is there a sketch? The sketch is that they both run for governor. <laughs> Who would win? Springsteen versus as the kind of the populist, Woody Guthrie, uh, Bruce Wayne is the law and order candidate. That's as much as I got. It's not a I'd good idea. I have to idea. see it in outline, honestly, to know if it could hold water. <laughs> and plus. All right, Joker. Get it? <laughs> I don't remember that Jersey thing. I gotta look. I don't remember up. that either. I don't remember. And I watched the director's cut. Well, they don't. They don't just say like, "Hey," it, but they're in New Jersey, and and they're all talking about the bat, and it's, it's the first time that Gotham is placed on the map. That's true. Isn't that yeah, weird? Was, That'd be weird. Yeah, because where else could it be? You know, like if you think about it, 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 it has to be somewhere around there. I guess I just assumed that both Gotham and Metropolis were different versions of Manhattan that seemed to coexist. Yeah. I, but I, then they go to New York in DC Comics. Yeah, I was going to say Metropolis for me is New York and, and Gotham for me was always Chicago. Uh, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, Chicago. I always thought it was like, yeah. Um, Gotham to me oh. was Alpha But you never Kong, saw like Beachside in, in Gotham City, which is the truest Chicago for me. That's a good point. And it, and it well, is it considered coastal? I don't know. Yeah. It, it could have been like a Philly, Philadelphia kind of thing. But, <laughs> but then also, it also opens up the, well, maybe better than Bruce versus Bruce. I was kind of into the name idea and we've established my Springsteen thing. But Tony Soprano versus Bruce uh, versus Batman is, you now that's got, that's probably. Yeah, nobody's pitched that. So, yeah. 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 Well, 
That's interesting. If you wanna, if you wanna come uh, ride a cycle for us, like, and you don't mind working for our uh, our scale, like, come pitch anything. Don't don't make offers like that if you don't mean it. Because I'll, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I have nothing but free time. Matt, do <laughs> do I mean it? Uh, Seth usually when he says something means these types of things. So that's my reputation. <laughs> That's a pretty non commit I like that. That's good. There's a lot of plausible <laughs> deniability. <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> that's interesting. What's, um, have you guys, uh, what, what are you enjoying these days? Is there anything that uh, you guys are enjoying as far as music or film or television that uh, you would I'm like not. to point a finger like, at? If not, there's a, new, there's a new show every week. It's like there's so much stuff that you just go. Is down there anything there. that's grabbed you lately? Oh gosh, what was the last thing that I just watched that I, I really, I really had one? I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, Seth Rogen's cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I haven't tried it yet. I gotta try it. I haven't tried that. And they've got a whole uh, lifestyle what, thing what, built into it, which is actually really fun and positive. The packaging is super cool. I thought I saw uh, just the images of, and the colors and, the, and the, it seemed very distinctive. It is, but it's also like a really good cannabis too. So. Yeah, it's weed. I mean, what's you know, what's the worst that could really happen? You know, it's very strong. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. What else? Are, what else are we doing, man? I'm watching uh, Big Mouth. Invincible is great. Mouth. Oh, Invincible is so good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Kirkman was on last week. He was on this podcast last week. Watching. I mean, even just doing that uh, Walking Dead special with him has been great. Uh, he's one of those people where. And that whole thing's happened was just was a, a side thought was we do this annual dinner at comic-con where it's like him me jeff loeb um rob liefeld it's like it's 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 just like old time people we've known each other for probably 20 plus years in the comic industry before we were doing anything and we we're just in a dinner and he's like what you do with dc and Star Wars and not <laughs> like, let's do it and it was just like that and the next thing you know you're we're doing this special um but yeah that's one of the craziest too just because of the way it all came together like we just just uh, on the basis of doing parody you don't often get the it, yeah get the entire cast of a thing to play their actual selves in a comedic oh. interpretation and it, it, it's it's like such a it's such a win that you can't do it every time but it worked because that show, all of those actors who are lovely people spend <laughs> the entirety of their time doing this painfully dark, brutal drama story right. about right. the most basics of survival and human betrayal and like yeah. the absolute depths of your emotions. And uh, everybody was like, oh yeah, let's have a good time. Let's be silly. From, from Norman to Andy, everybody was like, yeah, we'll we'll get we'll oh my god, Andrew Lincoln so is one good. of the funniest people. He's so funny because he's such an incredible dramatic actor, and he applies that same level of commitment and um, authenticity to any joke that he's making. And so he just went for it, and all of his jokes are so elevated and funny because he's coming from this deeply sincere emotional place and saying or doing something. fun uh special that was yeah i there's, there's kirkman is just he's fascinating invincible 
you know, I, I can't wait to see when we get to a point where we have a lot of rated R animation, because I, I assume it's going to happen. You know, like even on the big screen, I would think that there would be more uh, at this point than there really is, because there really hasn't been very much. I mean, that blood is all for chores. Yeah. <laughs> R-rated. That All of that violence is, is one hundo R-rated. Yeah. Oh, at, yeah, least by, at least by conventional MPAA standards. You know, but I think after like uh, Spider-Verse, like the, the potential of animation for superhero comics, you know, we, traditionally there hasn't been a ton of theat uh, theatrically released feature films with superheroes in it, uh, animated. You had that Batman one, Spider-Verse, Big Hero it's, 6. It's and, just time, it's time yeah. though. And if you really look at like the trends of what animated movies were getting made through the studios in the times where they were making them, they they didn't see the type of financial success that would in, that would like persuade them to invest heavily in an animated feature. I think the fact that right. Spider-Verse is hands down one of the top 10 best films ever made and also um, made so much money and won an Oscar will be incredibly influential for the industry in general um, as to how to exploit these kinds of heroes in different mediums than they've imagined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to see like a Silver Surfer animated movie or like, a, you know, there's certain characters that are in Marvel and DC Universe who are kind of on their own a little bit and you could do them as like a singular thing, like a they, swamp thing. Or Yeah, they're, te they're teeing that up though. They, they really have like the fact that the TV stuff is starting to work the way that it is, is giving them the ability to do limited series the way they would do limited collections of a single title or like a character team up. So we're, we're just now, now that they've proven this, um, uh, concept so clearly right started with Iron Man and then yeah. into uh, Cap and then they're like Thor and that's that that's where they built the Avengers so they've really taken their time and and even had some um, I wouldn't call them false starts but like they they pursued different veins of it based on what was available so the entirety of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. getting to do all those shows on Netflix like that stuff is still canon and yeah. even like all the animated stuff, it's consistently feeding the greater whole. That's what they've done so convincingly. And now they've got the opportunity, whether it's WandaVision or Winter Soldier or any of these other examples of it. I, I, I fantasized, I fantasized as this was starting to take shape. The first time we saw an Avengers movie, I was like, God, do you yeah. think there will ever be a time when we get a Secret Wars limited series that crosses over the Fox X-Men yeah with the mcu and i was like i don't know way. if it's ever possible i don't know if there's any reason to get the charlie cox daredevil in but i want it and we're yeah. closer to that than ever before and yeah. i've heard the russos say the only thing that would get them back directing is secret wars so give it to them right yeah. absolutely and there was even that secret wars if you remember after secret wars a few years later there was a secret wars they retconned it and they added deadpool as the yeah, secret, the, de the Deadpool Secret Wars, yeah. So he's yeah. in it too. So like you can even they. That's uh, a hilarious book, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, um, but I, but I would settle. I would settle at this point for a meaningful introduction of the Fantastic Four. I just yeah. want, I, yeah. and if it's and if it's Krasinski and Emily Blunt, I'm fine with it. Sure. That right. Last trailer, that last trailer could not have uh, teased it better. Like the way so that the whole family trailer. That led into that little floor that ended it I love all. it. I'm ready. I, one thing that you left out, which I'm still surprised that they're doing, is we're doing this MODOK show. Which again, oh, yeah, yeah. Random, oh, right, right. The stuff that we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> that random character that, again, that Patton Oswalt you know, and Jordan, like, just thought were, was fantastic and has turned it into this, like, 
family comedy. In, in we feel, way. I mean, we feel so lucky about that. There was a lot of Marvel plans for animated stuff that got scrapped. Um, yeah, and course. we were lucky enough to get to make this show, which I love, which is so good and so funny. I can't believe we got to do it. But it's also it's 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 canon adjacent like it's we we're getting to play with all of these random d-list villains and explore oh. all of these areas of that That's universe awesome. that you never get privy to like, i'm super excited Pete, about that, that kind of pace pot peak kind of stuff you have or? no idea yes like the fact that you even said his name that was one of the first things that jordan said to me because i was like how do we get Gwenpool into this and he's like i got different plans <laughs> Nice. That's fantastic. Well, you're doing like that. That rock will show up before uh, Gwenpool will. With the French accent, like the, he's like Pepe Le Pew. Like yeah, he's French. It's fantastic. He's We're gonna. So and we'll probably we'll probably get like the uh, get like the guy from the boys to do it or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can't believe get my head around it that these things are on TV now. Like you know, like I I feel like I feel like it's a Jacob's. I'm in Jacob's ladder. Uh, like I I fell asleep in like Batman and Robin the screening and and I'm still there George Clooney and I just had all this dream that there's like a Watchmen TV show and the boys and Doom Patrol and and now I'm going to wake up any second and, and Clooney's going to have nipples on his suit <laughs> you know what that may still happen again but regardless the greater whole will not be that which is yeah and it'll be part of an integrated multiverse that we can all agree should be canon <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it won't be in Jersey right it won't be in Jersey exactly. <laughs> who knows I don't know Maybe yeah. that maybe that map looks different today. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um, what a treat to talk to you guys. It's so much fun, and congratulations on on everything. Uh, you continue to do, uh, you know, uh, work of the angels in, uh, in in taking taking down, you know, kind of uh, every nerd target there is. It's fantastic. Oh, why well, I, I will I will say that I never quite think about it as taking down as much as celebrating the uh, the organic absurdity of any of these things that we passionately love. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Because if you didn't love it, you wouldn't do it. Um, yeah. you know, nobody makes fun of stuff that they really don't love. I know that. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's really well done. I'm really glad that you guys didn't name it $5 Footlong because I probably never, <laughs> I don't Could think I ever, I never would have watched it. I never would have watched it, so. But, uh, but thanks for coming on the show and, and uh, it's great seeing you guys. Right on, wait, Matt, Matt, what's the date? What's the date? May 23rd. At midnight on Adult Swim, the Archie Comics Robot Chicken Special. <laughs> exactly. Tune in. We'll be there. Don't be a jughead. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt and I have been doing bits about the date for days now, trying to sure. promote this thing, and so yeah. And you gotta hit the, you gotta beat the drum. You know, like that's uh, that's fantastic. So, well, it's good seeing you guys, and thanks again for your patience and your cooperation and your good cheer. Well, thanks so much for tuning into Mindspace. Uh, you just heard Jeff Boucher talking with Seth and Matt from Robot Chicken about not only Star Wars, but their upcoming Archie special, which will be airing on Adult Swim on the 23rd. So check it out. It's funny. It's funny. I'm not a huge Riverdale fan, but it's uh, it's got a lot of really funny stuff in it. And, um, you know, you think about how much those guys have done, uh, the success that they've had. And it, it really is... Um, that it's a busy sector now that kind of the comedy sector for genre stuff because you see a lot of parody a lot of satire stuff from you know like uh, a family guy and robot chicken obviously but also um, 
you know, just you see SNL stuff once in a while, and the late, the, the late shows get into it. Um, it's uh, it's it's a it's a good time to be a fan of parody of genre stuff, you know. Yeah, and I think lots of the um, the central properties and companies themselves are trying to get into it um, as they set up the whole kind of Marvel model of just properties everywhere that anybody can go to. Um, I know that Star Trek has their below decks thing. I think we talked about that. Um, and then I just saw um, trailers for a new Marvel supervillain one that was also oh, Modoc. Yeah, I mean that's that's the most exciting thing ever. Yeah, uh, Patton Oswalt's Modoc, and Modoc is what this this fantastic, uh, bizarre character. He's like a giant floating head. Who's uh, little tiny arms? His head's like in his torso kind of or his torso is his head and uh and he's has little kind of t-rex arms and t-rex legs kind of and um his name is an acronym it, uh i can't remember exactly what it stands for but it's like machine of death you know for killing or something I, we could look it up real quick but it's a jack kirby creation it's part of uh, the craziest part of jack kirby's career when he's really coming up with over the top and uh, really strange characters in that one way at the top of the list. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. It says uh, mental mobile mechanized organism designed only for killing. Ah, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> it's, you know, Kirby had some of these great characters who whose names were acronyms uh, that he launched in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And Kirby in the 70s is just like, you know, it, he, he was like the trippiest guy who never did drugs, I think, you know, like uh, it just, he was tapped into this really strange creative uh, dimension. Uh, but that that era he had, for instance, OMAC, which was a DC Comics series. It was one of the series he launched there when he left Marvel famously. Uh, and DC would have promoted him like, Kirby is here, you know, on the covers of their, mag of their comics. It was like a really big deal for him to change and um, but OMAC was one of them and it stood for uh, One Man Army Corps. Uh, and then so MODOK was when he was at Marvel. That was another one of the kind of the acronyms. And they, they came in the same decade as things like Devil Dinosaur, which was its standalone comic series that he had that was just nuts. Uh, and, and Commandy, which is uh, the last boy on earth. And it was, a, it was an alternate future where there was all these uh, speaking to animals, it was like a George. It was like George Orwell's Animal Farm meets Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Um, it was just all nuts and wonderful. Um, but Modoc is, is the, kind of the height of that uh, of that era of Kirby, and, and that show should be fantastic. It's it, there's also DC has Harley Quinn, you know, which is the mm -hmm. really really raw series right now. Um, like it has like a lot of like. Uh, decapitations and uh, uh, pretty raw humor. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a lot of stuff in Deadpool. You know, it's a funny time to make fun of genre stuff. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting business model too because it's like I feel like these brands have gotten so big that they also want to encompass their own kind of controlled opposition. <laughs> Oh, I don't I don't mean that in like um in the sense that they're evil no, or no. they're maniacal or uh, Machiavellian but it's just it's a smart business model that if there's the huger your properties get the more impulse there is going to be to parody them and so why not 
bring that into your fold as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, it's a, it's a good point. You know, and if because if you represent uh, Coca Cola and Sprite, you know, then maybe people aren't thinking about Pepsi. So like, you know, so they're giving themselves their own or their own Coke and New Coke, like making fun of themselves, uh, creating a natural opposition within their own brand. Uh, you know, kind of co-ops the market from their uh, true opposition. So that's. That's sneaky. I like that. Yeah, I found, I mean, it's not comedic, but I found the Snyder cut kind of to be an example of that as well. It's like you're taking advantage of this popular sentiment that you, the studio, have adulterated this movie. And now you, the studio, are correcting this, your own quote unquote movie mistake. And so they're selling not only the original Justice League, but they're selling the quote unquote original um, non-studio interference Justice League that is, you know, the reaction to themselves, which I found really interesting. Yeah, yeah, well, the, the, you know, it, it, it gets down to, you know, the, the opposite of love is not hate, it's, it's apathy. So if, if they, if it, you know, they're, they're, they're servicing all their consumers by giving them a love and a hate, uh, and when they stop making it, that's when it's apathy. So, but yeah, it's, you're right. It's, uh, when then that's that, that particular scenario, that's that situation with that movie is so, so particular and specific to the people involved. Um, but it's fascinating seeing the power of social media, you know, I mean, none of that would have existed. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like the Donner cut of Superman two, that would, this would have happened with that way back when you know, when, um, when Richard Donner was fired from Superman 2 and they brought in Richard Lester uh, to finish it and stuff like that. If, if social media had existed then, we would have had a Donner cut, uh, just like there's a Snyder cut now. So it's kind of fascinating. Um, it just shows you the, the amount of egos and, and um, power studios and funding and all that stuff. It's, it's mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, but... I don't know. I think, yeah, I think what you said is true about parody being really of the moment and being really big, the, the larger that these comics loom in the popular imagination and series too. Yeah. yeah I know yeah, that yeah. the, like the Adam Driver SNL Star Wars sketches have like almost taken on as like a sub canon of their own. They have all these characters that, that recur and, and they're so good and yeah, um, yeah. people, especially my age, will gift them and quote them and it's become cultural currency in itself. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's my favorite Adam Driver Star Wars performances are those. And I, I, and that's not a slight to the other ones. It's just that he, he's so willing to give himself completely to what he's doing uh, at a level that most people aren't, especially people that are involved in uh, franchises like that. And so you have to kind of, even if it's just to admire it as an acting uh, exercise, it's just, he does a great job with it because he's really, he's a hundred percent into it. And, uh, and it's, it's hard not to wink at that at some point because he could protect himself a little by winking at it, you know? Um, so it's, it's, he's a tremendous performer. I, he would, I would love to have seen him on a, a sketch show for years. Like uh, he would have been a great SNL cast member at the beginning of his mm -hmm. career, just because of his comedy skills are so good, you know? Yeah, the extent to which 
he his comedy is is how serious he takes it that was something that they say it's like a kind of adage in theater that it's never going to be funny unless you the character view this as absolutely serious all the time yeah Yeah. so yeah Yeah, that's right and i just watched um uh seinfeld uh, one of the seinfeld episodes that i had missed a long time ago with uh, his comedians and cars with um uh fred amundsen um and that's actually how the interview started he's in praise of portlandia um saying that it's so funny because everything is so not funny to everybody on the show everything everybody on the show is so serious about everything and nothing's funny to them and that that's the beginning of that's the key ingredient of the show's humor um which i had which makes perfect sense i hadn't really thought about it um but that's exactly the same thing that you just said that's interesting yeah confluence one thing though that i'm wondering as we talk about the the proliferation of parody is especially when it's paired with the absolute dominance of the sci-fi franchise um in culture and in economics (laughs) even that these things have their own kind of you can register them on the Richter scale. They're that huge in the world today. Do you think that we're going to reach a point where there's that one parody that kind of nukes it all? I'm thinking of airplane and the disaster movie genre or looking back centuries ago, you have Don Quixote and the chivalric romance. I think to the point where some of the books that are parodied in Don Quixote, they don't even exist anymore except as references in Don Quixote, like the genre was so done after that book that people just kind of threw them out and didn't make any attempt to save them. And the standard, the standard, the accomplishment that the the parody reached a higher level accomplishment than than the genre itself. And so Mm -hmm. that, which is the ultimate, like uh, double down. Yeah. Uh, You know, well, it's interesting. And and, I mean, if you look at what's going on with superhero stuff, for instance, okay, like, as as you say, like, if you look at it just as a pure, um, uh, the proliferation of it and, and the ubiquity of it and, and the, the mass of it within its, its uh, industry, you know, um, it, you know, the domination of Marvel Studios plus all the other big hits and then now all the TV stuff as well. Um, you, 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 and you ask yourself, like, how much can that genre take? How much can it hold? Like, if, if, if on TV now you have the boys uh, on um, one channel, and then you also you have Invincible, um, is an animated version of, of a similar kind of superhero deconstruction, and now Jupiter, Jupiter's Legacy, which is the mm-hmm. newest one, which uh, is also in that same area of massive superhero multi-generational epic story with undercurrents of conspiracy subversive and uh you know uh decadent behavior by superheroes to as a metaphor for celebrity and capitalism uh you know so okay so that's the same kind of thing and you wonder how long can we have that and have the, the the genre not eat itself like can can, when, how long can it sustain? Because that's really, once you're subverting the genre, you know, it's been deconstructed, now it's been subverted. Like, how many iterations of it are left before it gets to its Don Quixote? Uh, and that's that's a really interesting question. I mean, the only thing I can compare it to right now, the closest thing it, it reminds me of is the Western. If you go back 
and you look mm -hmm. at television in its earliest years, um, like four or five years into the Western, or four or five years into television, I should say, the Western was so dominant. It was more, it was like 30 of the top 40 shows on television were, were Westerns, you know? And people forget how big a deal they were now. You know, um, ABC, if you go back to its, in its history, its very first hit show mm -hmm. as a network, um, you know, the thing that put it on the map uh, was The Lone Ranger, which was the first Western on TV. A lot of people forget that. They, if you ask them what the first Western is, they would, they would never guess Lone Ranger. They would guess uh, more kind of like uh, kind of traditional brands like uh, Bonanza or, or uh, Big Valley or something like that, just because they seem serious. Uh, more serious than the guy in the mask, but Lone Ranger was first, and um, the ubiquity of the Western, because and it was a service of the technology. It was easy to film, moral stories. They were they were good for kids. Uh, there have been generations of Western films, obviously John Ford and all that, um, and that saturation level, uh, and then it led to parodies, and. Um, and even more than that, it led to deconstructions. And I think once you had like the Clint Eastwood, man with no name Westerns, once you have, you know, the Wild Bunch and things like that, it, it, it was over for TV Westerns. It, they were already in decline, but they just know, they couldn't tell the same stories anymore. The, 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 the stories that they've been telling were denied to them because the audience had moved forward into something that was darker and more mature and, and, and kind of undercut the, the values of it. And that, that's what I think about the superhero thing. It's like the most likely scenario, but um, I mean, I just don't know. I, if you, I don't know what you do after, after, these, after these shows like The Boys and, and um, Jupiter's Legacy, just because it's, it's hard to tell, it's hard to see a Batman movie after those, you know? It's like, and after Deadpool, it kind of, you wonder how many times you can go back and tell, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know the, the straight superhero stories, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it. even even my grandma has seen Deadpool. She watches just like TV movies, and she's been <laughs> like, "Hey, I was watching. Uh, there was this crazy movie. It was <laughs> called the the Deadpool. <laughs> it was it was really funny, but I can't repeat anything they said in it. Um, to, so even if my grandma likes Deadpool, you're right. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 jumped the. Uh, uh, it's jumped the killer shark uh, in Guardians Galaxy. I mean, now you know if you, we actually have a shark, so like if there, there's a potential for someone jumping that shark in the movie, which is great. I'm sure James Gunn will do that on purpose, just to just because he's so funny. Uh, you know, I I, I, I kind of want to go back to the the original Deadpool. Uh, you know, the Clint Eastwood movie that he took his name from. You know, hmm. um, I, I haven't know seen that. it. Yeah, because the character is uh gets its name from this this idea of you put uh, a contest called a deadpool which is you bet on who's going to die next yeah yeah uh and so that was a thing in the 80s and like people would say like courtney love or whatever and uh then they made like in real life oh my god that's yeah terrible. It, was like a, it was like a crap yeah a very gross crass thing and yeah. then it was kind of like an urban legend probably more than anything else um, and then it became the premise of one of Clint Eastwood's movies uh, called The Deadpool. And it's about there's, there's people killing someone and they're involved in apparently in a Deadpool. Um, and it was, and Jim Carrey's in it. And he plays like 
a straight role. He plays like a, a Axel Rose kind of character. And he's one of the victims. And Cleese was, uh, uh, you know, a cop, a uh, tough cop. I haven't seen it since it came out, um, mm. but I'm kind of interested in going back to it. And it gave its name to this character that was created called Deadpool by Marvel, which, you know, the character was an amalgamation of a lot of different things uh, early on. Uh, and um, it was kind of a spoof of a DC character, um, you know, that was in Teen Titans, uh, one of the villains in Teen Titans and was very popular at the time, um, Deathstroke. So, mm -hmm. and, uh, and of course, Deadpool's taken on a life of his own and, and uh, has become, you know, one of the most popular Marvel characters ever. Uh, yeah. Along with Winter Soldiers, like the two most modern, biggest additions to the Marvel canon, you know, because most of the Marvel, great Marvel characters were created in the 60s, 70s, or earlier, um, and then a few in the 80s. And But uh, when you get to the 90s with Deadpool and, um, and in the aughts with uh, Winter Soldier, you know. Do you think, do you think that could, could be a um, Achilles heel of the genre, that everything has gotten so complex? And like you said, everything has taken on a life of its own? Because that's actually been a barrier to me to watching some of the new stuff it's like i could never i feel like i could never catch up oh um like i feel like the characters have proliferated and like you said they're bringing in all these characters um who all have their own backstories and different comics dimensions and timelines and yeah. um story threads it it it's it has been a barrier to me as sure. somebody who's not very deep into Marvel and DC, like as a consumer, I'm like, oh, maybe I should just sit this one out. Oh, and the next one's really complicated too. Maybe I'll sit the next one out too. Um, yeah. Oh, and the third one has Easter eggs from the first two. Uh, well, maybe I should just, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, no, I, I totally get that. I mean, um, and, and that, I think that... it's admirable that they've been able to do that on that scale and to cultivate such a broad customer base that is familiarized enough with this stuff to stick with it but yeah yeah well i mean um yeah they, they certainly things like uh i mean that's a challenge facing marvel now uh is that after you know uh close to two dozen movies and and now all these shows that you'll have um you have all this, you know, new generations that get indoctrinated and there'll, there'll be a lot of content for them to explore and, and become passionate for it. But yeah, it's, it's also off-putting. And that's one of the things that reasons that comics were off-putting for to people for a long time. And, um, you know, complex stores were so off-putting as well. Um, Cause if you, you know, it would be very easy to not feel welcome there and kind of overwhelmed by it or, or uh, just, you know, off, find it off-putting. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I guess with things like the boys and and uh, Invincible and, and Jupiter's Legacy, those are all new stuff, you know, that's not based on previous existing, you know, versions of it. But at the same time, it it's it's uh, it's conversant in those previous works, and it it's based on their 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 tropes and and dancing with the different sort of um, uh, you know possibilities of the story so it that's also can be off-putting like I could see people not wanting to watch the boys because it's it's like 
it assumes that you know all the stuff that came before, at least in the way that those stories are represented and what those stories mean and what those characters are like, because it turns them on their head, even if they're not the same characters. Uh, but yeah, it, it, a lot of it can be um, the challenge moving forward would be to, to have people feel like it's still welcoming, like that, that there's some entry point that is, um, you know, worth their time. Right? Yeah, I, I remember when, when Endgame came out, there, were, there was this social gr media graphic that went around. It was like how to rewatch all the Marvel yeah. movies oh, in, yeah, order in order so that yeah. you're ready for Endgame. And I'm like, there's homework now? Yeah, that's funny. There's not, it, homework we're assigning to ourselves as a culture. Sure, sure, sure. exactly. Well, it's, as you know, it's a celebration of- Yeah, it reminded me a bit of, yeah, but- my mom actually was a big sci-fi fan and she remembers the day she went to go see dune on opening day and she didn't oh, wow. keep it but she got one of those infamous little paper glossaries and yeah. was instantly you know got the pit in her stomach like this is gonna be bad yeah yeah so if there's a glossary wish, of terms i'm in trouble wish i wish she'd she'd kept that that would have been so funny but yeah yeah um it is funny because yeah. right? some people will admire that and some people will find it off-putting like it's like if uh you know uh yeah it's it, it, it's a lot like i remember reading clockwork orange and it has a glossary of terms on the back you know and and you know when the lord of the rings also arrived with the index and a map and like you people can look at it and like oh man like this is a uh it's homework yeah that's right a lot of people would respond that way um well at I least i think in in fantasy i think lots of those resources and appendixes have the decency to be in the back like sure. as like you know as an add-on i i hate books that like have the family tree at the front uh -huh. those are those are intimidating or yeah. like if you, if you read wolf hall it's like got a hundred like in 40 characters listed alphabetically at the front and it's like yeah. <laughs> It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's uh, it's a different way of approaching things. That's for sure. That's absolutely for sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it's a dizzying time. How do you, how do you feel as someone who's followed this stuff for many years? Mm -hmm. As far as uh, just the comprehensive approach, or about yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, I find that people, uh, as a reader or as a, as an audience member, um, different times you want different things and different things have appeal to you. Uh, the things that I really love, uh, I would probably be more forgiving of that, you know, um, but the things that are, uh, you know, maybe less inviting, it, it does seem a little pretentious to me, or it can be off, you know, as I said, off-putting to use the word too many times, but um yeah it just depends on on what the fans want you know I, I i try to think about why things why certain things have this popularity um you know like and going to comic-con for years um and seeing the audience there really change um but at the same time really not uh it got bigger uh and it got um uh you know it was less uh, automatically just guys which was really great, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And now it's like 50-50. Uh, 
uh, on the tickets, uh, which is amazing and wonderful. I think it has a lot to do with things like Harry Potter and, and Hunger Games and, and, and uh, anime and, uh, and a lot of things that um, people get passionate about. But I look at those things and all the things that are under this big tent umbrella and wonder about what it is that they have in common. Like, what is it that links them and what, what makes their, their fans um, uh, kind of hunger for more the way that they do in a way that you don't see in other things. And I think it's part of it is, a, is this immersion idea. Like, you know, that, um, you know, whether it's Tolkien or Lucas or, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Harry Potter or the Hunger Games is that you're given a, a world that is, is wide enough and, and feels real enough, but also has enough depth that you can explore all these different things in it. Um, and it's one of the things that people really appeals to people, you know, and that's also one of the reasons like toys, like you look at the Star Wars, how many toys there are, like if you had every single Star Wars toy, like, oh my God, you know how many toys that would be? It would be like a lot. <laughs> like There's thousands and thousands of toys at this point. Um, and that, that this universe is big enough to fill in with all this hardware and machinery and names and places and cultures and weather and all these different things. And, and the more that universe feels uh, expansive to people and the more real it feels and the more depth that they can realize within it, I think to them, the more they can step away from this one. I think that the, that mm -hmm. the, the power of these things and the reason that they have glossaries of terms and, and sometimes put them in the front and, is that they are trying to make a reference um, so that you can feel and live and, and you know, mark time in this other universe so much and care so much about the people in it and, and pledge your allegiance to it and publicly declare it and own it in a way that makes you a fan. Um, uh, that all of that is based on the, uh, the, the power of that immersion um, and the escape that comes with it, you know? Yeah, I think we talked about Baudrillard in The Matrix. That's, yeah. that's Baudrillard's thing, that the simulacrum becomes so accurate and so detailed that it eventually becomes more real than the, than the quote unquote original world. So sure. and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think just... lots of the properties you mentioned are the ones that became big on the internet in, in fan fiction, like Harry Potter, Hunger Games, and I think the impulse behind fan fiction is the same as what you said about living in a world um, in immersion. It's the kind of just impulse to recombinate the, the elements of the world in new ways so that you don't have to mentally abandon it. Because it is, it is sad. Like, you know, I can't, at some point I stopped writing Lord of the Rings fan fiction in middle school. And it's kind of sad in retrospect because when I put down my pen and I never came back to that story, I didn't know that was going to be the last time, you know, I, yeah, you know, yeah. you always assume that you'll, you'll keep writing forever. So it's, it's reassuring. Um, I don't know. There's a, you know, Ecclesiastes, there's a time to write fan fiction. There is a time to cease writing fan fiction. Yeah. I, you know, what I always think about though, is like those characters are still waiting. Like they, they're just kind of like, they're all like waiting for their next thing, like, you know, in, in another universe. Like the, the saddest movie ending to me of all time was Golden Compass because she's mm -hmm. just in that hot air balloon floating around waiting for a sequel. And like, you know, and the sequel never came, you know? Yeah, that is sad.
I'm reading, I'm reading right now. There's, it's a classic Chinese novel called The Dream of the Red Chamber. Oh, how's that? It's great, but it's, it's so meta and mind bending, like, you know, stories within stories. And I came to the same conclusion. Like you spend the first about like 10 pages with this one guy. He's a nice guy, like a nice character. And you meet the people in his life. And then at the end of those 10 pages, he just walks, he, he walks off and disappears. And oh. then you start following a new character. And I was like, wait, yeah, wait, <laughs> excuse yeah. me. He, yeah. he doesn't even have the finality of a, of a death or, you know, some sort of tragic not even closure a, not to even the story. A... He just, he just literally walks off the pages of the book. Yeah. Um, so it's it's it was a really interesting literary experience like you know is is the tragic game of thrones style death really the worst thing that can happen to a character yeah um is that the worst thing you can put a reader through or is it this open-ended just evaporation yeah waiting for Godot. Nice. Uh, yeah well let's just leave them hanging let's just leave everybody hanging until next week all right, we should we, we won't tell, we even just close it out? Should we even close it out?